1: Eternity is a long time, and the Bible says that God has placed eternity, an unending longing for Him in our hearts. That is what's gonna make you and I happy. When God, when we realize that God has placed that eternity. In each and every one of our hearts, that that sense of eager anticipation that doesn't end. Anticipation for his presence, anticipation for his glory. I believe when we get to heaven, that one of the most wonderful things about heaven will be, in my own opinion only, don't, don't, you know, you don't have to buy into this, but this is how I look at heaven. I think heaven will be a place wherein we're going to try to figure out the goodness, the glory, and the majesty of God and never run out of excitement about it and never be exhausted in the things that he wants to reveal to us. And for eternity, we will be glorifying Him for new reasons every single passage of time, if there's any such thing in eternity. There will be an unending longing, a continuous longing to know Him more. And that's what eternity is going to be like. Happiness here on earth is fueled by the longing to be in eternity with God. We can never manufacture that longing. It is God who reveals that longing into each and every one of us the moment we decide we're going to put our focus on Him continually. It's part of that progressive work of sanctification that we often hear preachers talk about. Happiness, joy, or gladness are fruits of the Spirit of God. The verse says, my heart is glad. My tongue also rejoices. Jesus says, from the abundance of what's inside your heart, your mouth speaks. And let me tell you something. If you have a happy heart, you have a happy mouth. Amen? You cannot fake it. If the heart is full of anger and hatred... The mouth's going to go and spill it out. It's inevitable. It's true for everybody. That's why That's why the, the first thing they tell you when you're angry is to hold off, back up, think about what you're going to say before you say it. Because when you say things in anger, you can never take that back. And that's what you need preachers for, to kind of remind you of that and remind me of that. Why? Because we're human. We're made of dust. We get angry. But the thing is, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And let me tell you something, every problem, every sin committed against you and I, and every sin that we commit, when we bring it before the Lord, it's temporal. We will be forgiven. We will be washed. It's just a focus on what God's mercy can do, a focus on the grace of God. We need to never abandon the fact that every time we cry out to God for something that we had done that isn't good, that's a word from eternity. That, that, that is a testimony that there's eternity in our hearts. That's part of the progressive work of sanctification. The more our spirit is filled with gladness and joy, the earthly body, though it suffers, suffers pain and degradation, will rest secure that one day the body that we now have will receive a glorified version of itself. I can't wait for that one. That's one of the greatest promises of the resurrection. You think I'm cut now? Wait till, I, wait till you see my glorified body. I'm just trying to be funny. I'm looking forward to it. And why are we so big on that promise that one day we'll live again and we'll have a much better body? Why? Because God himself raised Jesus from the dead and God himself did not let the, the, his son's body see decay. And if God can raise Jesus from the dead, I guarantee you, I'm going to be raised from the dead. You are going to be raised from the dead. And you and I are going to have that glorified existence in our lives. That's something to be glad about. That's something to be happy about. Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. What What does that mean? It means that because Jesus rose from the dead, he was the first one to be resurrected from the dead. The rest of us who follow him will also be raised in the newness of life. And if that doesn't make you happy, you're hopeless. If you're happy with your body right now, if you're happy with your life right now, the Bible says, no eyes have seen nor ears heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. There's so much more. That makes me glad. I hope you're glad about that too. We live in a world where there's so much uncertainty, so much anger, even right now, so much dissatisfaction, lots of confusion, lots of division. People seem to be drowning in their problems, and many are consumed by other people's problems and how to solve them. We're trying to cancel our culture. So many things going on. We're demanding change from our government. We're demanding change from our system. We're demanding this change or that change. We're demanding an overhaul of this thing, the abolishment of that, the defunding of this, the throwing away of that. Let me tell you something from the Word of God. If the heart doesn't change, you can put any system you want. It'll never work because only God can transform the heart unless He puts eternity in the heart. We will go through the loop again and again and again. Why do history, why does history repeat itself? It's because people who repeat history are people with untransformed hearts. Without God in it, no system will work. The heart needs to change. Before any meaningful change can take place in our homes in our communities in our cities and in our nation and around the world, we had the privilege of visiting the Louvre in paris it 's a museum of French art and history, and our tour guide was taking us through all of these different paintings and and one of the paintings that that saw was the the painting that was uh, painted just days before the uh, happened in the painting. Uh, there were the uh, uh, there were the royal royalty in France. The the, the rich land. Owned- the aristocrats right on a stage and, and, and then on the, on the audience were the common, uh, French citizens and a group of former, uh, American revolutionaries were also in that meeting, which was interesting. The idea was to talk about, uh, how, you know, the citizens can demand from the royalty, the aristocrats, some kind of fairness because they're experiencing so much injustice. And they brought in these American revolutionaries, veterans from the, the, American Revolution, to convince the, the, the royalty and the aristocrats that uh, they needed to make changes in the system or they're risking rebellion. And we knew what happened, right? Uh, you, you know, the, the, the French people revolted against, nothing happened out of that meeting, and the, the, the French revolted and they took over the country. And the idea was to copy the American Revolution, But history now tells us that whereas the American Revolution was a resounding success, we now know that the French Revolution was a dismal failure. In one year alone during the French Revolution, 2,700 people lost their heads, literally, through the guillotine. Another 50,000 people were either shot dead or died in prison from their wounds. Six years after the French Revolution, France got rid of their royalty But in six short years, they inherited an emperor, a Corsican dictator named Napoleon Bonaparte. What's the difference between the French Revolution and the American Revolution? The French Revolution decided that the seat of power is in the hands of the people. In the American Revolution, the leaders of the American Revolution decided that the seat of power is in the hands of God. That's a big difference. When you put the seat of power in the hands of people, you're going to have death. You're gonna have anarchy. You're gonna have brutality. The American, well, well, you know, whether you, you know, you believe history or not, this is the truth. The founders of America decided that the truth of God will prevail. And you know what? Democracy was born because the leaders of the revolution decided that no man, no human being should be above the law of God. George Washington could have been the king of the United States. but he refused because he recognized fundamentally, and I'm not defending whatever he's done or whatnot, but he recognized along with the other founders of this country that without God, things will fall apart. And that's what history tells us. If we decide to take power in our own hands, believe me, history will repeat itself and people will will die. People will, people's livelihood will be destroyed because unless the heart is transformed, there will be no flourishing of life. Say whatever you want to say about America, but I believe that America was founded because of the leader's ear of God. And that's something that we need to be thankful for, that the founding fathers of this nation decided that they're going to do what they're going to do out of their fear of the Lord. All right. Well, somebody may argue, well, the Spanish Empire uh, did things in the name of God. The British Empire did things in the name of God. You didn't hear what I say. The Spanish Inquisition was a product of people doing what they did in the name of God. But the American Revolution didn't happen in the name of God. It happened in the fear of God. There's a huge difference. The Crusades happened, and I can defend Crusades all I want, but the atrocities committed by the so-called Christians, when they did them, they did them in the name of God, not in the fear of God. There's a big difference difference. That's why never convinced me that just because you invoke the name of God that you can do anything you want. That isn't true. And the founders of America did not do that. They didn't do things in the name of God. They did things in the name, in the fear of the Lord. When you do things in the name of God, you can do pretty much anything you want. But if you do things in the fear of the Lord, you will be careful to honor the name of God. Christians fear the Lord. If you're a Christian, you fear the Lord. You just don't do things in the name of the Lord. You do things in the fear of the Lord. Please understand that this morning. I'm not defending any of these atrocities supposedly committed by Christians. I don't even buy that the people who did them were Christians. Because Jesus never taught those things. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. If you use the name of God to advance your own agenda, forget about it. It doesn't work. But if you do things in the fear of the Lord, God will bless your life. God will make things happen. God will make a way in the desert. God will make a way through the valleys. God will make a way through the storms because you do things in the fear of the Lord. Even in our own personal lives, we must think clearly as to whether we are believing and doing things in the name of God or in the fear of God. If we do things in the name of God, we can justify pretty much anything. And weaponize our position to destroy others. I don't need to give you another example, but I'll give you the example of Paul. Paul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul later on, he prosecuted, jailed, beat up, and even killed Christians in the name of God. But not until he came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that he began to fear God and his life was never the same again. He wrote three quarters of the New Testament. That's a testimony to the fact that there's a big difference between naming God in the things that we do and doing things in the fear or reverence of his name. The only time we are called to invoke the name of the Lord is when we are praying and when we are battling evil forces. That's when we name the name of Jesus. That's when it becomes more Powerful. The fear of the Lord should be the motivation for our actions and positions because the fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. If our position on issues does not lead to the flourishing and, and an underlying flourishing, if it doesn't lead to the advancement and the, and the blooming of life, then it's not done in the fear of the Lord. Loved ones, let me say this to you. My opposition to abortion and my support for the traditional marriage and the traditional family has nothing to do with my political affiliation. It has nothing to do with what denomination I belong to. It has nothing to do with my upbringing. It has nothing to do with what my parents taught me. It has nothing to do with my education. It has everything to do with the fear of the Lord. And if we don't know what it means to reverence the name of God, we will do things continually, not only in our own name, but drag the name of God in our foolishness. When the Bible says, do not use the name of the Lord your God in vain, it's not talking about cursing and using the name of Jesus. It's actually talking about dragging the name of God on things That really doesn't represent the holiness, the majesty, the grace, the love, and the mercy of God. Yes, there will be opposition and persecution that comes with fearing the Lord rather than men. The prophets, the disciples, all of the great men and women of the Bible understand this principle very, very clearly. So we need to be ready. But we need to act in the fear of the Lord. Maybe this morning you're frustrated, not just with what's going on in your own life, but what's going on around the world. And maybe in your personal life, maybe there are issues and positions you have taken, and you've made a decision, and you find yourself getting frustrated by the outcome. Again, let me say it's not too late. God can raise the dead. If God can raise the dead, he can resurrect your life right here and right now. He can resurrect that relationship. He can resurrect you out of that failure. He can resurrect you out of that bad habit. He can resurrect you out of that very, very dark moment in your life. He hasn't given up on you. He raised Jesus from the dead and he intends to raise you up. Focus on the presence of God. Make your way back. He will raise you up. Psalm 30 verses 3 to 6 says, You Lord brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from the, the You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people, praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning, now there's a final way to achieve happiness the right way, and that is when we know that a path of spiritual fullness guarantee is guaranteed to always remain. Spiritual fullness is guaranteed to always remain with us. Look at verse 11, "You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures." At your right hand. You know that you have, you have a happy life if you have a fulfilling life. A fulfilled life. You know when you can, when you can breathe a word of praise when you, uh, when you end your day. When at the end of the day you can say, ah, praise God for another day. When you can thank God for what happened to you on, an, on a single day. It shows that you have a sense of fulfillment, and it shows that you do have a happy heart. But if you start the day sighing and moaning and complaining about having to wake up and go to work for a job that doesn't pay you enough, that's a bad sign. That means your life is unsatisfied. You will either look for someone to blame for your sorry predicament, or you simply do not want to flourish where God wants you to flourish. And we are oftentimes fall victims by some other people. And sometimes we we do suffer things that's not of our doing. Sometimes uh, circumstances are not good to us. Sometimes we're completely innocent about the things That are happening in our lives. But we always have a choice. We have a choice to continue focusing and trusting on God in that situation. Or we can start putting the blame on somebody else. We can start putting the blame on anybody else. On the circumstance. On our families. You can start putting the blame even, you know, to random people. and We start trying to vent our anger, our our unhappiness. To them, And we create chaos, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. That's the fruit of that victimhood mentality. Let me just tell you this. No politician, no leader, no guru can change your attitude about being a victim. But if you're a follower of Jesus, even though you're not immune to being victimized, You will never allow that victim mentality to rule your life. You'll never allow that victim attitude to prevail because Jesus is your Lord. You are not a victim. You are valued by God. Fullness or fulfillment comes when you know your value. Fulfillment comes when you know who's giving you the value if you know the value of something you will have fulfillment in it okay you know you you can have a very old car but if you value that car it'll give you fulfillment amen in fact i, I you know I, let me close with this story i mean i had a i had a, a favorite sport coat that i bought in the early 90s and it's uh it's you you can tell right away if i wear it you can tell it's ...from the 90s because it has three buttons. Nobody sells that anymore and nobody wears three-button jackets. But I love that jacket. I'm just ashamed to wear it because it will give away my age. And you know how sensitive I am when it comes to that. So I haven't seen it in a while. It's in my, my, my closet. And I haven't washed it in a while. But last January, when I was ready to cash out all of the gift cards that I got from Christmas... I decided to wear that to the mall to buy new shoes. Just to give you a sense of my, my, my fashion sophistication, you know. I want new shoes to go along with my 90s jacket. All right? But I you know, and I ran I into this pair of shoes that I really liked. And I picked it up, went to the counter, and I have a $50 Macy's gift card. And a pair of shoes was uh, $60. So I said I can't afford it. I only have a $50 gift card. And I was getting ready to return it when I, you know, just, you know, unaware, just put my hand in my pocket. And guess what? Yeah. There was a $20 bill in there. I had forgotten that it was there. I pulled it out. 20 bucks. I got $70. I went home with a pair of brand new shoes. And enough change to get me some Starbucks. I guarantee you, I left that store very, very happy. And no one can convince me that because that jacket is old, that it has no value. In fact, at that moment, it was the most valuable thing I have. You can laugh at me and say, what in the world are you thinking when you wear that jacket? But to me, that just about saved my life. And, you know, that's the same kind of thing that happens to us as Christians. You know, we think that this faith that we have is kind of old-fashioned. You know, nobody really cares about God and religion. and You know, aren't you ashamed, you know, to be calling yourself a, Chris, a Christian and all of that? Isn't that a little old, too old-fashioned for our day and age? Listen, our relationship with Jesus elevates us. To a value that God intended for us to have. In sending Jesus, God said to humanity, that is how much I value you. And when you know in your heart, when you know deep in your heart that you are valued by God, you'll never feel like a victim ever again. You'll never feel it. It'll never bother you. No matter what happens on the outside, it's what God says who you are on the inside uh, that says a lot of things about you, about a sense of, there's a sense of gladness that no amount of money can buy. It teaches us to be satisfied with what we have, not because it's extravagant, but because it fulfills us in our life. Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The Christian life is not a perfect life, but it's a fulfilling life. True happiness cannot be attained without perpetual sincerity towards God. It cannot be experienced without the reality of the resurrection. And it cannot be sustained without the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our life. You've been listening
0: to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale with Sunday worship starting at 1030 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com.